Welcome to the Internal Medicine for Vet Techs podcast. If you haven't joined us before, we're passionate about all things internal medicine and helping you become the best tech you can be. We'll be discussing interesting internal medicine diseases, how to work closely with pet parents, and how to become the go-to tech in your practice. Now, let's start the show. Welcome back, everybody. Thank you for listening and making commitments to your learning. We hope that you are doing well. Uh, we are your hosts. I am Yvonne Brandenburg, and I am joined by the delightful, dignified, <laughs> and diligent Jordan Porter. Oh, super sweet. <laughs> Obviously, this week was brought to you by the letter D. <laughs> Oh, for some goodness. vitamin D and all that other stuff we probably could use this time because it is January. Yeah, almost the end of January though. Can you believe it? No, I can't believe it's almost the end of January. I mean, so crazy. Kind of thank goodness. The beginning of January is a little hectic. Uh, it was a lot hectic. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, how was your week? Uh, not too bad um let's see what i i I worked um i (laughs) i think i told you about this but i built a little outdoor cat house for the stray that is in my backyard that (laughs) so we had this crazy windstorm this week which blew we had a um, car cover, like a carport cover kind of thing out there. And, and the cats would just like kind of sleep under there because it's, you know, nice and enclosed. Mm-hmm. Well, the, the windstorm picked it up like over the car and then ran into the house, which was super fun to wake up to. Um, and then I felt guilty that the cats were, you know, exposed to the elements the veterinary <laughs> so, professional feeling guilty that cats yeah. like outdoor cats are oh outside <laughs> they don't have a carport cover anymore yeah so so i like we had scrap wood still from uh building the she shack that i was like oh well we're not doing anything with this wood so i just put together like a little box basically <laughs> um but yeah they they already went into it and so hopefully it's supposed to rain today so hopefully they can actually you know stay out of the rain so yeah that was my week yeah yeah I worked a lot this week a lot yeah yeah you got home super late the other night it's crazy oh yeah Friday was crazy that's the latest I've worked in a really long time (laughs) like yeah it was insane foreign bodies I know esophageal (laughs) foreign bodies like especially when they're potatoes like food I very much dislike food esophageal horn bodies yeah dude they're the worst because they just break apart which yeah. is which is good like you wanted to do that just not in the esophagus when you're trying to pull it out because it's like little chunks of things that come out and oh i hate esophageal foreign bodies they very rarely go well yeah like it, it's just one of those like no, like it sucks because you can't grip it enough to actually pull it out, but then like you can't grip enough to break it apart quickly. No. Like nope. you just <laughs> but anyway, like that was Friday was Friday was a little it was a little much. <laughs> You're like, yay, the end of my week. Oh, I'm here until nine. 
Yeah. Yeah. Basically. But well, and esophageal we form the dog, bodies so. are a pain in the butt because they just like spring up on you and you're just like, okay, I guess I'm here for the long haul now. Yeah. yeah. Like it was just, it was just one of those where it was tough and it took two and a half hours and like, Ugh. it was just, but we helped the dog. So yeah. Yeah. <sighs> yeah. Anyway. <laughs> so <Yay>. four bodies. <laughs> This week, our episode is race approved for one CE hour. Um, members on the internal medicine for vettexmembership.com website can get, um, can take the quiz and get your surf- certificate, or you can type in imfvt.com too. That'll take you to the membership site. <laughs> oh, that is true. Yeah, we did yeah. do that. <laughs> um, non members, though, can use this as self study in some places. So this week we're going to be discussing copper storage disease or copper associated chronic hepatitis. So we've already kind of discussed chronic hepatitis in episode Mm. 46. Mm -hmm. Um, but this, this week we're going to be discussing strictly like copper related hepatitis. Yeah. And, and it's interesting because as we were doing the notes, it, you know, definitely go back to episode 46 because that that's really where it talks about just general liver disease and Mm -hmm. you know what happens there and what we see and how that works um copper storage disease is is one of those things well yes it is liver it causes liver disease um And so we see all the liver disease stuff but it's like well why is it happening then we find out oh, we have this, you know, abnormal accumulation of copper in the liver, um, which then causes problems. Cause again, you know, body loves homeostasis. So, um, (laughs) and you know, copper is an essential nutrient. Like, it's not like we could just be like, you can't have any copper. So we had one case, it got transferred to us for copper storage disease, but like the blood work, Mm. like the copper levels were high, but not not like typical yeah. copper copper storage disease like yeah um, well it was interesting i don't know if you ran across it when you were working on this but when i was looking at it um they were talking about how sometimes some of these numbers are breed specific so the amount of copper and whether or not it causes problems can actually be breed specific. So yeah. I thought it was interesting. There's so the one breed that's congenital that I'm sure mm-hmm. we put down in the notes here. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but we had one case, it was like a Boston and upon history, like I found out that the people were cooking for the dog, like home mm-hmm. cooking for the dog. And they were feeding the dog, like a bunch of foods, just high in copper. Like it was like, mushrooms and just all of these things that when we were looking it up it was mostly mushrooms they're feeding a lot of mushrooms for some reason and they switched to like just a regular brand diet um not even like a liver support diet and the dog went back to normal like blood values and everything were normal that's so crazy yeah uh, we have a list of them in, in in our notes too so so I guess we should start with kind of what the definition of copper storage disease or copper associated chronic hepatitis, which is kind of the more technical term for it. So basically what happens is for whatever reason, and it's, and it kind of depends on whether it's primary or secondary, 
But instead of having like the normal amount of copper that's in your liver, we get this abnormal accumulation. Um, and it's typically, you know, um, in the hepatocytes. So within the liver cells, then what happens because when we have too much copper, we get this toxic injury to the liver. And it, um, it's interesting because copper itself, um, causes oxygenation issues. So that's why like, um, a lot of times we'll use, uh, the like Sammy and stuff like that for, mm -hmm. for antioxidant properties. Um, and it's, you know, you kind of think about it when you think like copper pipes, right. And you see them kind of wet and then they oxidize and they get green. Like that's kind of what happens <laughs> in your body. Like the copper gets oxygenated and causes problems. So, you know, it, it's, once it starts doing that, it causes necrosis in the liver and scarring and stuff like that. So it's, it's interesting because, so if it's primary storage, like copper associated chronic, uh, hepatitis, then, you know, the body, whether it's genetically or otherwise accumulates too much copper, but you can also have it be the other way around, which is, chronic hepatitis and cholestasis can cause abnormal storage of copper. So it is kind of hard to, to know sometimes. Which one? Yeah. Which, which way it's one? going. <laughs> is it, is it the copper that caused the hepatitis or the hepatitis that caused the copper? So it's kind of, kind of an interesting, probably frustrating process. It's like a typical <laughs> IM disease. Right. Like. <laughs> I know, right. Uh, sounds, sounds about right. Yeah. <laughs> So, but any sort of copper related issues can lead obviously, like Yvonne was kind of saying to chronic hepatitis. And of course, if it gets like severe and, or not treated, like it can lead to cirrhosis of the liver too. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, you've got that much inflammation and then you're just, you're going to have scar tissue. Like, yeah. Yeah. I didn't go into too many details about yeah. that because we talked about it in the episode 46, the chronic hepatitis episode. Yeah all about how damage is done to the liver and, and results. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, but like Yvonne said, copper is a nutrient that is essential for the body. The body needs copper in order to function. It's included in all of these diets that are well-made for our pets. Um, and it needs adequate amounts for multiple bodily functions. So, uh, it is used as an antioxidant molecule, um, hematopoiesis, pigmentation, uh, connective tissue maintenance, and neurotransmission even. So I know we don't have Brittany with us this week, but <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? We call up Brittany. Brittany, what, how does copper work with neurotransmission? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> what is it? Although, do? huh, interesting. Because neurotransmission is a lot about electrical impulses mm -hmm. and copper is used for like electrical stuff in houses. Interesting. Yeah, we'll have to ask her. Yeah. That's where my brain goes. <laughs> <laughs> and then um, copper is absorbed within the intestines, especially the small intestines. So from the diets that we are feeding our pets, um, it is then transported via the portal system, of course, to the liver, because those are the GI system and the liver function very well together normally. Um, so the liver is the main organ for copper metabolism. Once in the liver, copper is taken up by the hepatocytes, kind of like Yvonne said a little bit ago. Um, it, 
it can go a couple of different ways from there. So it can be used up by the body. It can be returned to be used by extra hepatic tissues, or it can be secreted within the bile. Um, and biliary excretion is actually the main route for excess copper. So whenever there is too much in the diet, just like kind of taking like a multivitamin, you get what you need. And then if you don't need the rest, it, it's excreted somewhere. Um, so for copper, that's usually through the biliary system. Mm -hmm. And, and that explains partially why it's that color too, mm -hmm. right? It's a coppery color a lot of times. So it's kind of fun to remember yeah. that helps give poop its poop color. Yum. <laughs> Stop saying yum with poop. Ew. <laughs> First I said it with a bile. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. <laughs> so when you have excess copper accumulation, um, the problem is, is if you've got too much of copper, it basically uh, overwhelms the, um, so this is kind of fun, the lysosomal storage capacity. Uh, so basically, you know, the body's capacity for storing it, which then causes oxidative stress. So yes, copper is used as, an, as part of the antioxidant mo molecule, but too much of it, and it actually causes oxidation, which is interesting. Mm -hmm. um, stresses in the body can lead to free radical formation. So again, that's why we use antioxidants. It can ta um, do um, lipid peroxidation, and then it also can damage some DNA. So, you know, it, 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 that's all bad. <laughs> it's all things you don't want happening in your body. Uh, hepatocellular damage can lead to, you know, your chronic inflammation and then cirrhosis. So, so chronic inflammation can, can cause, you know, the inflammation and then scarring and causing problems. Yeah. And that's such a bummer because the liver gets all like small and shriveled and unhappy yeah. and there's nothing you can do about it. Nope. Cause as we, like we talked about in episode 46, so the liver can repair itself to an extent. So say we're battling a copper storage problem if we can catch it early enough and manage it well mm -hmm. typically the liver can repair what damage may have been done but obviously if it's just too far and we're already leading into that chronic hepatitis and, and yeah. cirrhosis of the liver like there's only so much magic the liver can do <laughs> right oh my god so true i know it's such a bummer like but i guess at least it can repair a little yeah uh, interestingly enough, um, the severity of liver damage does not always correlate to how much copper concentration there is in <laughs> these patients. So, um, it's, it's, it's hard because, you know, we, we want it to be straightforward and of course it's not. So we get our biopsy sample. It can show really bad hepatitis but it could show that there's minimal excess copper accumulated. So, you know, it's not definite one way or the other. Again, you know, is it primary or secondary? Yeah, you can have the opposite though, where like the hepatitis isn't like that bad, but like the copper is like through the roof and you're like, what? <laughs> why, is, oh, good. Good boy. Why, is, why is the liver sustaining this so well? <laughs> yeah, yeah. We caught it early. Okay. Yep. Yeah. So we, we kind of touched on this already a little bit, which is that the copper is excreted through bile. Um, there is some thought process that uh, it's possible that if we have compromised bile flow, so whether that's because you have cholestasis and 
I think we've talked about cholestasis a few times, like what can cause it, um, you know, that could lead to excess copper retention. Um, so if it, if it can't be excreted, you know, successfully through the, the bile ducts and, and, you know, it has to go somewhere. So some patients, it could be secondary to gallbladder disease. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of, kind of an interesting, again, you know, is it primary or secondary storage issues? It's like every, I mean, like every IM (laughs) case is, is it primary or secondary? (laughs) Yeah. Sometimes we don't even care. We're like, I don't care. (laughs) We just need to make things work. Yeah. Yeah. Um, sometimes you can have really severe acute, uh, liver necrosis that can result in the release of stored copper into the blood. So if you have like one of those, uh, just a part of the liver dies off for whatever reason, the, the issue is when you release all that copper into the bloodstream, it actually can cause hemolysis. So it can break down your red blood cells. And then of course, this is because, it's got oxidative properties. So what happens is the red blood cells are taking damage by being oxidized Mm -hmm. and then that breaks down the red blood cells. So again, you know, using an antioxidant is going to really help support some of these patients to hopefully prevent a lot of, um, red blood cell breakdown. Yeah. Could you imagine? Oh my God. What if it was like so severe that the dog came in like almost like an IMHA, you know how we get those referrals where, where yeah. like, we think it's an IMHA and then we like investigate a little further and it's not. And, I'm and, like, oh. and you're like, Oh, it's liver disease. Yeah. And, and it's interesting. because I imagine like they can have icterus and stuff like that too. A hundred percent. Yeah. So yeah. the <laughs> God, I am is very like, I love it, but <laughs> when we do some of these episodes, I'm always like, God, that's frustrating. <laughs> like, that's- well, it is. And and these are the ones where it's like, okay, so they're anemic. Yeah. Are they regenerative? Or are they not regenerative? Mm-hmm. Right? Like those are, those are big things to know. And then is it immune destruction or is it something else that's causing the destruction? And yeah, so that's why we look for like spherocytes. So if you're not seeing spherocytes, you know, look to see what the liver's doing. Is it just bilirubin that's elevated? Well, that doesn't always mean that it's IMHA, right? Mm-hmm. So something else could be causing those red blood cells to be lysing. Yeah. And it could be liver disease releasing copper, which is crazy. And I was like, dun, dun, dun. Yeah. So <laughs> <laughs> um, I know we were reading about um, kind of like specific breeds and species, obviously the this is definitely more of a dog disease. Uh, did you read anything about it being seen in cats very frequently? Uh, so I saw in uh, our Bible, right? Yeah. Linda Merrill's book. Um, I did see that there was one rec- reported case of a cat. Of course. <laughs> and I was like, okay, so one freak accident. Yeah, but it's definitely, it definitely is a dog thing. And also people, apparently people can get this, which I thought was interesting. Um and so I think that's how they kind of first found it with dogs because uh, they saw it in people and they kind of said, Hey, I wonder if this is what's going on with, with these dogs. Yeah, I'm sure. And then like the, so copper associated hepatopathy was first described though in Bedling, Bedlington Terriers in 1979. <laughs> um, 
you what's funny about that is in school like that is a hundred percent what they talked about they're like bedlington terriers copper storage disease like yeah. i just remember that was like something they pounded into us and it's like i don't see copper storage disease very often now but like the ones that i have seen have been a doberman and a uh, a sky terrier i don't think i've seen a bedlington <laughs> because it's, it's, I, it's i don't different. know if i've ever seen a bedlington terrier i think i've seen one yeah. i'm like oh that's you okay so in yeah. Bedlington Terriers, though, it tends to be like a mutation of a COMMD1 mutation um, mm. that is like above my pay grade on like yeah. mutation. <laughs> yeah, it's, like, it's just a genetic mutation. And so these are, think of this one as like Bedlington Terriers are going to be more of the like congenital mm-hmm. ones, right? So we'll start seeing issues between two to four years of age because they can't process the copper appropriately. Um, and that's because of that genetic mutation. Um, and we can test for that genetic mutation. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you suspect, you know, there's a Bedlington Terrier somewhere in that line, you can check to see if the mutation, although I don't know, I think, the treatment's the same. So I don't, I don't know if I would really test for it, test for it. Unless. Yeah. If it screams copper for some storage, reason, I was then... going to be like breeding the dog. Yeah. That sounds but... like a good decision. <laughs> I know. Right. I I'm guess like, maybe it's a screening tool to yeah, your Bedlington Terrier. Like that's probably what it is. Like it, before they start manifesting clinical signs, like you test for this yeah. mutation and, and yeah. that makes, and, and then you can prevent some of the like, uh, you know, issues and the hepatitis and stuff like that. So I guess Hopefully. like if I had a Bedlington Terrier and I was being responsible, I would test for the mutation just prior to it becoming a problem. Just go ahead and start them on like CME or something. <laughs> like yeah. Before. Just like low <laughs> copper diets, yeah. that kind of thing. Yeah. 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 Um, there are definitely several other breed related hepatopathies. So including disorders described in like what I was saying, Dobermans, yeah. uh, yep. Sky Terriers, Dalmatians, Westies, and Labrador Retrievers. I feel like labs get everything. Like labs yes. are always on the list and it sucks. I, I, I love know. labs. I'm like, huh. Unbeknownst to your husband. Mm-hmm. I know. Right? <laughs> <laughs> and then yeah. for these guys, clinical disease at any age really can happen um, depending on the severity, of course, and the nature of like their liver dysfunction. Um, and again, it's, it's that chicken and egg, which one came first? Mm-hmm. Is it the hepatitis that's causing it? Cause most of the times I think of hepatitis as older dogs. Mm-hmm. So, you know, again, it depends on what's causing the issue. So, yeah, we had a, we had a dog in last week actually. And it was like a six-year-old dog and the liver was all like cirrhosed. Mm. And we talked about like liver biopsy. I, actually, we, she ended up getting referred to she didn't want to at first for to go for like a liver biopsy but now she is huh so well and i think i mean we'll talk about it in the treatment but this one you can reverse some of the copper storage issues Mm -hmm. but once you've got scar tissue in that again yeah this was a bummer because like i i understand why she contemplated not like the liver was so small like it was like it had um acquired something mm. like it was crazy like mm. it sucks because the dog was middle-aged dog like young and mm. the liver was like the size of a 
half of a lemon and like <laughs> had like Jeez. acquired shunting all around like the outside of the liver like it was Ugh. it was a cool ultrasound image but it's like one of those things where you're like oh man that looks really cool and then you're like oh it's really sucky for the dog you're like oh cool for us is bad for you i know <laughs> like it's like you, you feel really bad for being like excited about how the ultrasound looks like right yeah <laughs> Yeah. So, um, with when we're, well, trying to get a diagnosis for these pets, right? Because again, we have liver dysfunction, which doesn't make them great anesthetic candidates. <laughs> so to get a diagnosis, sometimes, you know, we have to kind of go about it a roundabout way. So we look in their history, um, to see, you know, do they have excess copper in their, their diets? Right. And that includes water. So like, yeah, mushrooms, exactly. So, you know, do they have copper pipes? What kind of food are they feeding? So that's why, again, when we're getting our histories for consults, it's really important to ask the owners, you know, what, what kind of food do they get? Do they get treats? Do they get any supplements? You know, have they had a history of chronic hepatitis? You know, is it, you know, and again, hepatitis through the stages, right? Initially it's kind of waxing, waning appetite, lethargy. Then you get worsening, which is, you know, anorexia, depression, weight loss, vomiting, diarrhea, PUPD, icterus, ascites, and then advanced is like, you know, your neurological issues consistent with like a hepatic encephalopathy. Also, you know, is it a Bedlington Terrier? <laughs> um, so that would be definitely something to look at in the history. Um, extreme physiological stressors can, I don't even know how, <laughs> but apparently it can cause it. So it mentioned whelping or other diseases somehow hmm. can, I, yeah, I know. I, was like, I mean, okay. I believe it. I, I imagine that like, if they could be prone to copper storage, then any sort of like it, it would essentially Off turn into the pain homeostasis kind of thing. Yeah, like the pancreas mm. gets angry if you look at it wrong. Like this right. liver's gonna be like, it's just a little overwhelmed, and then right. <laughs> it gets very <laughs> overwhelmed. Oh I understand the feeling. Right. Aww. I get you, liver. I got it. Aw. <laughs> like, do you hold on to it? Do you release it? What do you do? What do you want from me? What do you like, want? <laughs> right. I have to store some of it already. Yeah. Yeah. Am I storing too much? <laughs> what do you mean I'm doing a bad job at this? You're supposed to be doing this and I'm just kind of freaking out on the side. Yeah, I got it. And this is where Jordan and I, we get lost. Just kidding. Yeah, just a little bit of randomness. It's okay, we, can, we got to do a little random. Not to be Otherwise, it wouldn't random. be us. I came up with, you know, like a typical like random vet tech question last week and like asked mm -hmm. my boss, he was unamused. Um, and so then I asked one of my coworkers, this is very random. It has nothing to do with the liver, but I was thinking about giraffes and I was like, you think if a giraffe had mega esophagus, anybody would ever actually know? And what if like <laughs> just through generations and generations, like maybe they had a congenital mega esophagus problem and they just evolved so much to have long, tall necks. Like what if their esophaguses don't Whoa. move like at all? It's just like, it's just gravity. It's, yeah. It can't. Okay. So on your <laughs> random thing, it can't be because have you have ever seen them drink water? No, I can't say that. They I have, have to like, they have to like splay their front legs out and then like 
tip into the water so they're like level okay that's true like they're not using gravity so they have to have peristaltic waves in their sockets or they're just really good at storing water long enough until they can get up again <laughs> and then it just all rushes down <laughs> Oh my God. If anybody knows about giraffe's esophaguses, let us know apparently. Yeah, let's scope a giraffe esophagus and I want to see. Oh my God. I don't have my scope isn't, it, it would get to like, I, like the I don't third vertebra. <laughs> maybe, or the second one. I don't even think it'd get very far. I'm just saying, like, what if they had congenital, like, megaesophagus back mm. in, like, you know, forever ago? Ancient times. Yeah. Like when there was just those ancient giraffes hanging out with those mammoths and stuff. And like, they just evolved. Like they had short necks and like their bodies like, no, I can't do this. Like we're going to die off and giraffes are hardy. They're like extinction, so not an option. <laughs> like we got to evolve. So their evolution, instead of not having a mega esophagus is just to stretch it out. Yep. Okay. Because if they just kept up with the mega esophagus, like how could you just like evolve out of the megasophagus like oh my God. They, they chose not to be oh. extinct <laughs> i swear we lost like half the audience <laughs> right now i wasn't just drunk saying. or and on any sort of substances when i was thinking about this <laughs> nor am i now and i'm just i was mm-hmm. just sometimes i have those random thoughts it's those nights when i can't sleep and i'm just like, i was gonna say it's sleep deprivation it's fine <laughs> <laughs> I gotta, oh my, my brain's got to think about something else other than what is normally going on in my brain. <laughs> oh my God. Oh. Whatever. I know that there's some <laughs> listeners who are like, holy crap. Like, <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure they are. <laughs> Whether that holy crap is about me being an idiot or I just made a really Aww, good point. You're not like, an idiot. <laughs> it could go either way. Oh my God. So funny. Anyway, moving on. Back to, <sighs> back to hepatitis. Yeah, we already kind of so, some differentials. Yeah, I was gonna say the differentials. It it again, it's liver disease type stuff. So or go back to episode four forty six. Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, okay, in a roundabout way, sure, IMHA could be included in you your know differential what? I'm, diagnosis. I'm thinking outside the box today. All right, well, good job. Yeah, because of mega esophagus yeah. and drafts. Yep, mm-hmm. I'm thinking up. <laughs> oh God. Um, so hepatitis or other liver dysfunctions, you know, cancer, those kinds of things. Those are, those are all things that we just need to figure out, um, which is usually why we're doing diagnostics anyways, in internal medicine to try to figure out what's going on. Yeah. Good old toxins, Um, trauma. (laughs) Right. Yeah. I was using all all the other liver problems. Yeah. Yeah. I know. That's all you wrote. Other liver dysfunction. (laughs) Yeah. I was like, there's so many of them again, go back to episodes. What? Was 46 the basic one? No, I think 43 was the basic one. 42 or 43. liver basics. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely go, like, if you want to know, liver basics episode is going to have, you know, all the talk about differentials for liver disease. That was a good run. (laughs) I like the liver episodes. Yeah. So when we're talking about diagnostics for the, for the liver slash for copper storage disease specifically, we do have to do lab work. So we, we look at our liver values. So ALT and ALP or ALKFOS um, are typically elevated. Interestingly though, um, there's usually a low BUN, um, which kind of, you know, it's blood urea, nitrogen, nitrogen. So it, that's lower. 
Um, we typically will see a hypoalbuminemia, um, a hyperbilirubinemia. <laughs> I almost like made that a weird word. Uh, <laughs> your bile acids are typically increased and then coags are usually decreased because again, we're talking liver dysfunction here. Your CBC, we are going to see an increase in white blood cells uh, as well as low platelets and mild anemia. And then if we're doing a urinalysis, we can actually see bilirubin in the urine um, just because of the body trying to get rid of copper and bile and, and all that stuff. And then uh, ammonium biurate crystals are, are typically seen in a urinalysis as well. As far as imaging goes, though, um, the imaging is good just to, you know, look for cirrhosis of the liver and or that kind of thing. But or like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, like all the normal stuff that we see for ultrasound. It's not really going to give us anything specific for copper storage. So, you know, you're not going to be able to like do an x-ray or ultrasound or fluoro or CT and be like, oh, yep, it's copper storage disease. Like that's just, it's not how we diagnose it. But those things can be used to rule out, you know, other liver dysfunctions. Mm -hmm. <laughs> kind of the, the gold standard for diagnosing this is going to be a biopsy. Which I'm happy that we're talking about this because I have a lot of clients who are like, well, why can't you just do aspirates? Like, it's like, I don't want to put my dog through surgery. Like it's not, you cannot get a sufficient enough sample for copper quantification without a biopsy. Exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's interesting. So we, we, we have to look this up because obviously we're not surgeons, nor are we doctors, <laughs> nor do we really um, assist with surgery. Well, at least I don't, you do. I don't, <laughs> I mean, I do, but it's been a while since I've, I've helped with this one. So, so, you know, in, in the small animal, uh, internal medicine for veterinary technicians and nurses book, which again, we reference all the time for everything, uh, when it talks about the biopsy techniques, so it's, so again, we, we had to Google this a little bit to understand it. So it says that, you know, you're, you're taking tissue samples of a sufficiently large enough sample size for inclusion of six to eight portal triads on histopath and for quantitative copper analysis. So it says, and it says about one gram and I, I had no idea what a portal triad is. So technically a portal triad is a distinctive component of a hepatic lobule found running along each of the lobules corners. So that makes sense. It's kind of a three, like, so they run along the corners and it consists. So the, the, the portal triad consists of branches of the hepatic artery proper hepatic portal vein and bile ducts so you get all of the stuff that you want <laughs> when we're talking histopath um so they they want to be able to have enough of that so about a gram worth um to do that and then um typically the copper quantification is done on either fresh or frozen chunk of liver like so you can't put it into formalin mm -hmm. um for specifically for copper for histopath yes <laughs> histopath you can definitely put it into the formalin but for co copper quantification you can't so we usually 
put ours like in a white top too. Yeah, that's what we do too. Okay. And then we'll yeah, so like, you put like a little chunk in the white top. If it's a Friday, we freeze it. <laughs> if it's a Friday, you freeze it. <laughs> yeah. That's probably a good idea. Um, so so you're getting that. And then they also do special stains on the samples to specifically look for um the copper in the liver. So there's there's a lot of parts if you're looking specifically for copper, um, copper storage that, um, I don't know about you, but we send our samples to Cornell. Do you send yours to the liver lab up there? I'm pretty sure it's been a, I think so. Yeah. Cause it's been a while since we've done, like we referred for a copper. Cause again, we refer right. to surgery and then they usually send mm. it out. But I think the last one we did, we, they gave us the samples and we sent it out to Cornell. Yeah, we, I was going to say our surgeons, they get the samples and they hand them to us because they don't want to interpret and follow up with clients. That's, I mean, that's, that's <laughs> very fair point. I do like it though, because like it, with those samples though too, they can identify like cirrhosis and mm-hmm. fibrosis and just kind of help quantum, which we already talked about, but it's just like, it's nice to well, get. Well, yeah, it helps <laughs> like, to know how far in the disease process they are. Yeah. Right. So can we. It, it, hopefully, you know, ideally we've caught it early enough that there isn't that much damage so that once we start, you know, reversing the copper yeah. storage, yeah, that we can prevent damage from happening, yeah. but we can't reverse the damage. So that's why you definitely have to have histopath involved in this because we want to see, you know, how yeah. much damage there's already done. And I know you're going to talk about like how the concentrations are reported, but like, I just wanted to make a note that it's also reported, like used on like breed specific reference ranges as well. Cause each breed kind of has its own reference range for normal copper levels, which is crazy to me. I'm like, why? <laughs> <laughs> I imagine it's, you know, breeds like greyhounds who are like, we do whatever we want. <laughs> it isn't even greyhounds. Like it was just like, Yeah. Yeah, it it was it was annoying. I did see that. I I did not write down. You know what other breeds? Which are- ones they were? <laughs> yeah. Um. So with the the copper quantification, because that's kind of the big one one that we're talking about for this. So we usually the way that it's reported. Um. Once we get that copper quantification back, it's the concentration, and they do micrograms per gram of dry weight analysis. Um, and so this is, you know, it's part per million per dry weight. So it's PPM DW is how they write it. Um, and, and anytime we're above 2000 parts per million for, for dry weight, um, that is definitely hepatotoxic. So that's going to be, that's going to be issues. There are some dogs and again, it's probably breed specific where, um, they can actually accumulate up to 3,500 parts per million. And that's where they start seeing liver disease, um, which is crazy. So this is why like when you're (laughs) shipping it out, they do ask for what breed this, this animal is, and they'll give you, um, you know, the reference range hopefully yeah. for that particular pet. So um, especially for these testing, it is really important to mark the breed. Like I know we get busy yeah. sometimes, mind you, I'm like neurotic and I always label all the things, but it, it can happen. So just make sure that you mark the breed for these kind of cases. Yeah. And uh, I don't, again, especially if it's a Bedlington Terrier, <laughs> <laughs> but 
again, I don't remember the last time I've seen one. So, uh, you know, typically when you're talking about hospitalization for these pets, it's, it's not necessarily hospitalization for copper storage disease so much as just hospitalization for liver disease. So we're not going to really touch on hospitalization for these guys, because again, we talked about that pretty in depth in some of the liver specific episodes. Yeah. Um, I guess, well, I guess before we get too far, one other thing to just kind of throw out there when we are doing our biopsies, whether that's a surgical biopsy or a laparoscopic biopsy, just remember because they do have liver disease that, you know, they, they're prone to clotting problems. So make sure you're checking your PT, PTT, or your coags, however you're checking your coags, um, just to make sure that you're not going to have excessive bleeding, um, you know, just, and, and just really be cognizant that, you know, they have liver disease. So, um, anesthetically they're not going to metabolize their drugs the same way. So just kind of keep that in the back of your mind. Yeah, exactly. Um, and then, so basically this is really about like, how do you manage and, and what, what's the outpatient care that we're, we're doing for these guys. So one thing to talk to your, your clients about is they shouldn't be getting quote unquote soft water, which is soft waters with, um, the ability to get minerals out of things, uh, from copper pipes. So if you're, if your owners have copper pipes in their house, you know, that can be an issue for these pets. So, you know, testing the water to make sure they don't have a, a lot of copper in it is good um, because that can lead to further copper accumulation for these guys. Um, in people, because again, we don't have a study for it in dogs, um, but in people, they do say that anything with a copper concentration greater than 0.1 parts per million is, is an issue. So if it's higher than that, um, they recommend using a filter that'll get out metals in the, in your water, or just using bottle bottled water that already has the excess copper removed. So that's just something to think about, especially if you've got a patient and you're struggling to kind of get the copper level down, this is something you might need to look at. Um, and Jordan kind of touched on this with the food previously. Mm -hmm. So the, um, the, the guidelines, right. For dog food in America. Um, again, I, I don't know about other countries could be different, but, um, so the AFCO recommendations, um, is 7.3 to 250 parts per million per dry matter basis of copper in the food. And that's for growth and maintenance dog food. Um, the problem is if you've got a patient with liver dysfunction or especially a copper storage disease, you're going to need a food that has anywhere from three to five parts per million. So this is, you know, it's, it's way below the normal low. And I mean, that's a very wide range. <laughs> for the normal right and like 7.3 to 250 and then we're like nope we need three to five yeah <laughs> it's like oh okay um and then you know jordan also mentioned it to the other foods that are going to be rich in copper so mushrooms are one of them yeah um shellfish liver kidney heart 
nuts, cereals, which is funny, um, cocoa and legumes should be avoided. Um, so like if that, that's really something, if you've got a client who's making a home cooked diet Mm -hmm. or they just like adding extra fun stuff to their dog's food to get them to eat like toppers. Yeah. That's a whole other conversation or a snack. getting into. <laughs> yeah. Like a exactly. potato. Like a potato that gets stuck in the esophagus. Sorry. Yeah. Sorry. I won't make you flashback to Friday. It's okay. <laughs> um, there are two diets that are going to be low in copper. Um, so there's the Royal Canaan Hepatic and then Hills LD. So those are two commercially available diets that fit within that three to five parts per million kind of reference range. Um, so the, the low copper in the diet doesn't reverse what's in the system, but it will slow down how much is accumulated, right? So if, if it's not there, they can't accumulate it. So that's why we do the diet. We also can do um, copper chelators, So this helps get the copper out of the liver. So this kind of brings it into the tissue and brings it into the plasma so it can be excreted in urine, which is different than it would normally be excreted. Um, And the ones that we kind of think about with that is D-penicillinine and triantine. I've never even heard of triantine. Nope. Yeah, I was going to say, I use D-penicillamine. And that, basically what that does is it helps remove the copper out of the system. Um, The the problem with that is it can take months to remove that excess copper, depending on what your patient's number is. Um, The approximate rate is, I love that there's an approximate rate for this. 900 micrograms per gram of dry weight per year. So if you've got a pet who has like greater than 3,500, I mean, that, that's a long time. That's a couple of years that with just chelating to get it all out of there. Yeah. In the meantime, there's damage being caused. So it's hard. Um, one of the other things that's interesting when you're using D-penicillamine, they do recommend to supplement with vitamin B6 um, because the penicillamine can bind with B6 and then reduce blood levels that can cause other health concerns. Um, so other issues with low B6, which I didn't know. And I'm like, I wonder if my doctor knows that. She probably does. I'm say, I think but our I last know. copper storage dog we put on B6. Yeah. It's probably um, more common. I probably just don't think about it because I don't have to fill B6. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Like it's probably it's an over the counter thing. Water, but <laughs> right? like, you're not filling it. So, <laughs> yep. Um, I know we do elemental zinc, which is kind of a pain in the butt to get prescribed. Um, I, we used Wedgwood quite a bit. Um, and I had to call them to ask them specifically how much elemental zinc is in their formula because that's different than just zinc, mm-hmm. which it's oh, a pain. So you have to ask them how much elemental zinc per mil or per capsule or per whatever it is that you're getting, um, because that kind of helps, um, synthesize and, 
basically makes it so the so the elemental zinc binds to the copper in the intestines and makes it so it doesn't absorb it so again decreasing how much gets into our system so we don't have to store it so kind of interesting i was like "Hmm." yeah i know we talked Um, about like in our hepatitis episode like the rest of these medications like ursodile um as an antioxidant which also can help increase copper excretion because it works with the gallbladder um and then glucocorticoids obviously we want to reduce inflammation depending on the severity of the hepatitis that we're treating Mm-hmm. Sammy, we already touched on. It's an antioxidant that we definitely want on board to help <laughs> reduce um, that. And then same with like, I know we talked about vitamin E in our hepatitis episode too, about yeah. it being a potent antioxidant. Um, however, we do want to advise owners to avoid giving their dogs like uh, selenium containing preparations just because possible selenium toxicosis. Which honestly, I've never even thought about before. I was like, wait, what? <laughs> So I don't know if like, I don't know how much selenium is too much. Yeah. Just kind of a pain. We'll have to get to that. Um, And then, so in order to really tell if what we're doing is actually helping, this is where clients don't like this. It's because if we tell what our copper levels are, it's not just a come in for a recheck blood draw and Mm -mm. copper level. So follow-up liver biopsies um, with copper quantification are required just to determine kind of the efficacy of the therapy that's planned for these patients so yeah which is hard because I think I think the recommendation was like at a year and then potentially like yearly yeah and I'm like I don't know if I'd want to put my pet who's got liver disease through yearly (laughs) liver biopsy I want to say the majority of our clients who've done the recheck at a year as long as it's okay then we just go off of symptoms yeah i i we usually go off of like liver values Mm -hmm. symptoms how they're doing really the only times we've done follow-up liver biopsies has been those patients that just aren't responding responding the way we want them to yeah yeah and we've done like copper blood levels Mm -hmm. too just to check it and see what's going on with that but again that doesn't tell us how much coppers stored in the liver no which is a bummer but it will tell you if it is being dumped into the bloodstream which we learned earlier is bad so exactly <laughs> it can exactly. help it can yeah. yeah so client communication is going to be tough just with the aspect of like follow-up care um mm-hmm. and then this is also not going to be one of those simple like my dog's better can i stop all the meds um no it sucks because this is definitely a lifelong thing yeah unfortunately adding in a different type of store-bought food in with your ld diet or your prescription diet is not going to work (laughs) like yeah we have a couple of clients that are super insistent on adding things and we'll tell them okay if you have to if you have to add on things then here's the list of foods here's the list of parts per million of copper you need to find a food below this number Mm -hmm. um because we don't have the time nor the energy to dive into that so if you want to you can and then once you figure out what you want to do let us know we'll double check it make sure it's good and you can go yeah exactly the other part of that is they can get a nutrition consult 
Um, so if they get a nutritionist, not just the person at the pet store, but a nutritionist <laughs> to formulate, you know, dog food or treats and stuff like that, they can do that as well. Yeah, that's um, definitely really good. And then just obviously we're not fixing the problem. We're holding off the problem until chronic hepatitis or cirrhosis or liver, just end stage liver disease will eventually occur. But you can yeah. hold it off for a while. It's not like it's like only a year kind of thing. Like it, it's like, it can definitely be long-term. The dog can live a nice, healthy life. Just knowing that in yeah. the future, like the end of this dog is likely going to be probably due to liver related issues. Yeah. And I think, it, I mean, it really is dependent on how early they catch it. Yeah, for right? sure. Like, are they, are they already, do they already have cirrhosis? Well, that's a very different conversation than the two-year-old Bedlington that you genetically tested and you're like, all right, well, I want to see how much copper is in there. And you did a biopsy and then you, you know, do all this preventive stuff. Yep. That's a very different conversation. Yes. That they is. can have happy, normal lives just with some meds and food restrictions. Like that's, that's very different. So I think it, it does come down to clients understanding where at they are in the stage of liver disease and then just making sure that they follow recommendations. Cause if you're doing like, if you're chelating, right. Trying to get the liver or the, the copper out of the liver, but you're feeding a diet really high in copper, like you're defeating the purpose. Mm, yep. So it's the tip of the week. Tip of the week is going to be stay away from copper rich foods <laughs> such as organ meat, eggs, shellfish, legumes, mushrooms. So get a full medical history, including diet. Yes, exactly. <laughs> it, which includes treats. Parents yeah. don't like to think that when you ask what their diet is, that that includes treats. Ugh. Treats? Anything to get medications in so pill pockets all those things are they using flavored toothpaste <laughs> um yeah you know, toothpaste all those things <laughs> yeah yeah oh my gosh um so just making sure you kind of get an, like anything that goes in the mouth yeah <laughs> is considered diet i gotta say um, like i don't think like i consider my dogs getting treats but they definitely eat like some table food because I have two kids. Mm. And so it's like, it's just asking those kind of questions. Like, yeah, well, um, and that's, I mean, that's really important to talk to a client about because if they do have kids, you know, it's almost impossible, <laughs> especially with young kids. Yeah. <laughs> impossible to like not have something fall on the ground and the dog eat it. Yep. Very much so. And now for the question of the week. Have you ever seen a Bedlington Terrier? <laughs> And if you did see a Bedlington Terrier, did it have copper storage disease? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it is a recessive gene, so hopefully, hopefully not. Hopefully not, but they could. But did you? Yeah. Let us know on Facebook. Let us know in their email. Um, we post it on all of our websites. <laughs> <laughs> all over the place. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Let us know if you've seen a Bedlington and if it had copper storage. So, yeah. And then we'll put the resources in, with the show notes, but um, we got a couple of things. One was from DVM 360, uh, the vet nutrition um, for, from Tufts uh, University. 
uh, Vin had some stuff. And then um, this is something just for, for you or for your clients. Uh, the Tufts University, they have a nutrient converter. So you can figure out how much copper is in a food. So if you, if you really wanted to kind of look at that and do the conversion, um, the link is there. They, they have a nutrient converter that you can use, which is kind of cool. So, yeah. um, all right, guys, I think that yeah. wraps it up for this week and we came out of our neuro series and now we're just kind of touching on a couple things, um, here yeah. there a little bit until we get our next series all planned out. Um, which I'm kind of excited about because we have some pretty big ideas. Yes. We just have to hash it out, finalize it and hash it out and get it, get it all set. Yeah. So, so. <laughs> all right, guys. Well, thank you so much for tuning in and listening. We hope everybody is doing well during this still weird time we've been <laughs> saying for a year and <laughs> right. Oh my gosh. <sighs> yeah. I feel like we're going to look back at some of our episodes and be like, oh, do you remember when we didn't wear face masks? <laughs> I mean, like we're coming up on like a year because it was like you yeah. visited me almost a year ago. I know. And it's crazy. we were at a gymnastics meet down in Disney uh, almost a year ago. And there were yeah. no face masks in sight. I remember when we went to Disney and when we went to the meet, we signed a waiver asking us if we had been to China. Really? Yeah, that because that, that was in February. and. Like, huh. or if we'd been on a cruise ship, because I mean, remember back then, like, what, oh, back yeah. then, like it was all on cruise ships and only in China. Yeah. And I'm like, no, I've not been to China, China in the two Which is crazy weeks. because I heard about it in Italy. Not like, not that I was in Italy, but I heard about yeah, it in yeah. Italy. And then it was like, oh, that came from China. And then it was like, oh, it's on all the cruise ships. And then it just took over. And then it just took over. Yeah. But I was like, yeah. no, I've not been to China. And then like two weeks after that, it was like, boop, boop. Yeah. It was the week after I came home from visiting you. Yeah. Yeah. Which is crazy. So like, yeah, the week after I went to Disney, I have yet to see Disney again. And who knows when I will see Disney again. I'm just excited that I potentially could get vaccinated here soon. Yeah. That'll be awesome. I don't know what that's going to mean for life, but because I'm still supposed to wear a mask after it. Yeah. I'm sure. I'm sure until like basically the entire country's vaccinated masks are going to be mandated and like it's yeah. just and it sucks because like I can't get vaccinated like so I'm going to my doctor mm. to talk to them about what I should do and it's just like yeah it'll, it'll it'll all work out and hopefully like a year from now we'll be like god do you remember when we had to wear masks everywhere <laughs> like yeah we'll be like in the same room together that would be great dude, that'd be amazing I can't mm-hmm. wait for that day again I'm buying you like the biggest drink ever, just so you know. It may be like an entire evening's worth of drinks. I mean, I'm a lightweight, so like you have it too. Like, (laughs) sweet, your entire evening's worth of drinks. I'll pay for it. I'm a cheap date. So sweet. Yeah. (laughs) Nice. Uh, All right. Well, we'll stop talking about the uh, elephant in all of our rooms. Yeah. (laughs) Let us know if you have any questions. Uh, if you have any ideas for a series that you'd like us to do, please let us know. Yeah, hit us um, up. I have thrown out there that we should do a cardiology series. So that is on the table, people. I promise. Yeah. It's just, I don't know hearts very well. Like, I mean, I know the heart. Oh, I love heart stuff. I love heart stuff. I just, I'm looking forward to doing a basic heart stuff. Like, 
Really? Yeah. Cause I, I like to relearn the heart. Mm, that makes sense. And all like the electrical activity <sighs> and all the just different layers of the heart. Like I like it. Mm. I just, when it comes to the diseases, I'm like, that's cardio. <laughs> that's not my area. Which is funny because I, I would, I would totally, cardio is definitely one of those. Um, I would totally get my VTS, like my second VTS and cardio. I just, I don't spend enough time over there. Yeah. No, I've told my boss to hire um, a cardiologist so I can <laughs> work in cardio and nice. get my VTS and cardio. I just, right now I'm just like, it still scares me a little because it's the heart. I mean, it should, because yeah. if the heart doesn't work, you die. <laughs> so <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> there is that. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, we found a blood clot in a dog's heart the other day and okay. <laughs> They're like, we don't want to talk about blood clots, but we found a blood clot in a dog's heart the other day. And my mood instantly changed. And I was so careful. Like I'm normally careful taking a dog off the table. It was just yeah. like, I was extra. I was just like, like, don't dislodge while I'm touching you. Yeah. I was like, let's roll over gently and we're going <laughs> to gently get in our cage and you are not right. going to bark. And like, you're like, don't move. <laughs> I was like, we called the cardiologist and we're like, you gotta go. Like, <laughs> Okay, bye. Okay, bye. And then, like, I could <laughs> stop sweating the moment the dog walked out the door. I was like, okay. right? Oh my god. Okay, bye. So funny. So. All right. Oh, anyway, yep. that was the last All story. Right. We will talk to everybody next week. And yeah, have a good week. Keep getting your learn on, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. Bye. bye. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Internal Medicine for Vet Techs podcast. If you like what you heard, we'd love for you to share with someone you think might enjoy the podcast and make sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Want to give us a boost? Please leave a review on iTunes or your favorite podcatcher and we'll be sure to say thank you. Find out everything about us at internalmedicineforvettechs.com. Talk to you next week. Bye.